Hey, good morning. Uh, welcome to Creekside Church. If uh, you're a visitor or fairly new, uh, welcome. Uh, my name's Mark. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, we're elder-led church here, and we'd be happy to get to know you better, uh, answer any questions you might have. Uh, please talk to one of us. Um, I'm up here this morning to give an announcement about one of our fall ministries, and I don't want to speed the end of summer for you, but it's coming up soon. Sorry. Um, and one of our big ministries during the school year is called Awana. It's a children's ministry, and uh, it's, it's a great ministry. And I just want to be up here this morning to remind you of it. Um, we're going to send out an email and contact leaders who we know are, are interested in serving this year. But if you're looking for a ministry to get involved in, this is a great place to do it. Um, there's a lot of different areas you can get involved in, helping with the games, uh, helping with the children and their verses, helping them to learn those verses, understand who God is, and for some of them, for the first time. You know, um, in the past, we've kind of given the appeal, well, if you don't have a special skill or you don't want to be teaching, you can just come and listen to verses from the kids and sign off on their verses. It's easy. But I don't want to give that appeal this year because it's more than just an easy ministry. When you're helping those kids learn their verses, and when you're, you're talking to them about it, you're helping them know the God and creator of the universe. You're helping them to know who Jesus Christ, the savior of the world is. You're helping them to grow in their understanding and knowledge and hopefully to salvation. Uh, we would love these kids to come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and grow in their knowledge and faith in him. And so when you're, if you're just coming to listen to verses, it's more than just that. What you do on a weekly basis with these children can have eternal impact on their souls. Just think about that. That's amazing. You know, it's, uh, I, I just had the privilege of working with an Asian boy a lot on the, with his verses and him, helping him to learn the books of the Bible in order, and he, and he was finally getting it at the end, and, and it was just exciting uh, to work with this precious child. And a lot of, some of these children come in and don't have a Christian home. They don't have a good home. Um, they don't have any other kind of Christian influence. This is, a, this is a privilege for us to have this kind of ministry to children, not only to our children of church members, but to children out in the community because we want this to be a gospel outreach to children in the Des Moines metro. So if you're interested at all in serving, see me or one of the other Awana leaders uh, immediately, and we'll, we'll contact you about an orientation meeting we're going to set up in this next week or so here, uh, a training meeting to help everyone get ready for Awana ministry. Um, now we have another announcement about another important ministry coming up. Happiness, Jesus says, can be ours, but the pathway to happiness may not be exactly what we're expecting. From a conventional viewpoint, most of the following eight statements don't make sense. At first, they even sound like contradictions. But when you fully understand what Jesus is saying, you'll realize these eight statements are God's pathway to wholeness, growth, and spiritual maturity. Happy are those who know they are spiritually poor. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are the meek. Happy are the pure in heart. Happy are those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires. Happy are those who are merciful. Happy are those who work for peace. Happy are those who are persecuted because they do what God requires. Belief alone cannot wipe away the pain and devastation of hurts, hangups, and habits in your life. In order to get rid of the pain, You've got to make a choice. You've got to choose to plug into God's power. His power is where your help lies. These words are from a study by Rick Warren and John Baker, Life's Healing Choices. The Beatitudes form the basis of a program called Celebrate Recovery. Before taking on the whole of a program like Celebrate Recovery, we want to start with small groups. 
In September, there will be two small groups, one men's group and one women's group, which will be focusing on life's healing choices. The study covers these eight principles, which are life-giving and hurt healing. If you're interested, there will be an informational meeting next Sunday right after the service. And if you have questions or can't make it to the meeting next week, you can just contact me. Thank you. I'm going to add a little bit to that Celebrate Recovery. For you guys that hear Celebrate Recovery, to you guys it shouldn't sound like this is an AA meeting sort of a thing. It's not just for alcoholic or drug addiction. We're talking about working through things in our lives that have held us back. And so we just get to come together and celebrate together moving forward. And we have people that are battling it as we go and people that have have beaten the struggles that have held them back and the awesome opportunity to be able to come together as a group and work through those things together. Uh, We're going to take offering as we sing these songs. If you're a guest, you don't need to uh, contribute to that offering. You guys can just enjoy singing here. Not that the people that are contributing don't enjoy singing. (laughs) Not what I meant. Uh, This next song is called The Stand. So I want everybody to just sit where they are. Just kidding. It's called The Stand. (laughs) Stand up. I just want to keep singing. That was awesome. Thank you, guys. Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. We're going to be in, starting in verse 1. Today through 21, you can use your pew Bible, your regular Bible, your phone, your iPad, whatever you want. Um, while you turn there, anybody seen the movie God's Not Dead? Raise your hand. Seen the movie God's Not Dead? Yeah, not a lot. You should see it if you haven't yet. It's a good movie. Um, but my favorite line, and I, I cried in it, because not because of something the movie said, but because something that my daughter said, Heather posted it online, she asked my permission beforehand, because it's kind of embarrassing for a man to cry um, in a <clears throat> movie, but I say if you can cry in a movie, you're a real man, so, um, but there's this one part where um, this girl, I'm not going to give it away, but this girl's struggling with something, and she's just bawling her eyes out, and she asked me, where's her mommy and daddy? And I said, they're not with her. And at that moment, I was already getting choked up a little bit from the movie, but she goes, she just needs her mommy and daddy. And I was just like, (laughs) I just lost it. And Heather's like laughing at me, Margo, dad's crying, dad's crying. So anyway, but my favorite line from that movie is when, um, his name's Pastor Dave or Reverend Dave, and he's explaining to somebody Um, why life isn't always that easy. And he says this. He says, if God always answered our prayers with a yes, then we would know everything that God knows. You get that? I've never, ever thought of it that way. If God always answered our prayers with a yes and always gave us what we wanted, then we would know everything that God knows. Because if we always prayed in line with God's will for our life, then we would always know what was best for us. But here's the deal. I don't always pray in, God, in, will with God's, in line with God's will for my life. Sometimes I pray for things selfish, selfishly, and I get really, really frustrated and down and out when God just answers prayer after prayer after prayer. No, right? But if he always answered my prayers yes, then I would know everything that he knows. And so we need to stop believing and trusting and putting our faith in what God always does. We've said this before. 
But if you always put your faith in what God does, you may be really confused in your life because he always doesn't do what you want him to do. He doesn't always do what you ask him to do. But what you can believe and have faith in is that God will always do what is best for you because we can't see the future. And so God doesn't always say yes because he knows better than us. And that just, that was like a moment of clarity for me. And I just wanted to share that with you because it was awesome. So let's turn to Mark chapter 8. And I'm just going to read this, follow along, and then we'll get into it. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry, they will collapse on the way, because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Satisfied. Get this. 4,000 men. Okay? That means plus women and children. There was probably between eight and 10,000 people, and they all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men were present. And having sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them and got into the boat and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for the one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you still talking about having no bread? Do you not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see? And ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand. Let's pray. God, I just pray that you would help me to serve well this morning. Um, man, just I don't want this to be about me at all, and I don't even want it to be about the people here. I want it to be about Jesus. And God, we, we want to be connected with you in this place through your spirit because of your son. God Almighty, we want to connect with you this morning. And so, we are just here with open hearts to connect with you and to, to learn what you want us to learn because your word is sharp, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce through bone and marrow to our heart. God, you look into every situation, and your word can speak to every situation. 
And so, God, we pray that you would just open our hearts and minds to what you want to teach us this morning, that you know best. And we trust that in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title this morning is going to be called Lost Connection. Okay, there's nothing worse. I mean, technology can be your best friend, right, when it works. I love technology. It's awesome. I can't imagine growing up in a world without technology. Um, When it works. When it doesn't work, I just want to break it. Right? I mean, when technology doesn't work, I think, maybe you're like me, but I think anything that I can think of in my mind, I mean, the the devices that I have should be able to do it, right? Like my phone. um, I just think that. I mean, the people that made these devices are way smarter than me, so anything that I think up, this stupid machine should be able to do. But when it doesn't do it, I hate that. And there's nothing worse than when you're in the middle of a call or you want to send something and you lose a connection. There's nothing worse than when you're in the middle of a coffee shop or even at work and you lose your Wi-Fi connection because you're trying to download something and it just, I mean, it just gets frustrating. In a life that desires to follow Jesus, there's nothing more frustrating and debilitating and discouraging than a lost connection between you and God. I mean, you ever, do you ever wake up and one day you realize, man, it has just been a long time time since I spent time with God like what is my relationship with God wait a minute I haven't read my Bible for weeks I haven't prayed I've been so busy in my life that man I don't even feel like I'm connected to God and you wonder what happened you wonder what happened where did that connection go and you just feel dead so today I want to talk about where those lost connections happen in our lives, how those lost connections happen in our lives, and I want to give you some practical advice how to get those lost connections back, or how to never lose the connection, because there's no promise that the Christian life is going to be easy, right? Jesus even promises that in this world you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world, okay? So it doesn't mean just because you have a connection with God doesn't mean your life is going to be easy. It often means that your life is going to be hard and it's going to be difficult and you're going to have to wrestle with Scripture. You're going to have to wrestle with God. But in the midst of all of that, you don't want to lose the connection between you and God. So let's go to verse 1 and let's just walk through this passage, Mark 8, chapter 1, and, uh, and we'll go for it. So it says, During those days, another large crowd gathered. Okay? During those days, remember last week, a tale of two healings happened in the region of Tyre and Sidon. Okay? And Kyle talked about the fact that that area used to be, okay, Jewish territory. It used to be part of the nation of Israel, part of the promised land. But after Alexander the Great came and conquered it, it was no longer a Jewish nation. It was a Gentile nation. It was Gentile territory. This is a big deal because, Justin, go ahead and put up that map, okay? Because after he was in that territory, Gentile territory, kind of small, but is up north there or along the Mediterranean Sea, he comes down into the Decapolis on the right center there. It says Decapolis, okay? I want to read a description of what the Decapolis is to you, okay? The Decapolis was a group of ten cities on the eastern frontier of the Roman Empire in Jordan, Israel, and and Syria. The ten cities were not an official league or political unit, but they were grouped together because of their language, culture, location, and political status. 
with each possessing a certain degree of autonomy and self-rule. The Decapolis cities were centers of Greek and Roman culture. Okay, So, this also was Gentile territory. Why is this so important? Okay, Because Jesus was in Gentile territory for a long time. You remember a few weeks ago when Alan spoke on the feeding of the 5,000? Right? Well, they were in Jewish territory in that time, and the spiritual lesson that you learn from that is that Jesus was the bread of life to the Jewish people. Well, in this section, he's in the Decapolis, which is Gentile territory. This is a big deal, because now Jesus, in a big way, is saying, I'm not only the bread of life for the Jews, I am the bread of life for Gentiles, which is everyone else. It's a big deal. Remember Kyle talked about last week, the Phoenician woman who came and she's eating. Uh, She wants Jesus to come and heal her demon-possessed daughter. And what does Jesus say to her? He says, no, I, I, I can't give, I cannot first let the children eat. It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. What was he saying in that? He was saying that, Hey, his mission on earth was to the Jews, okay? And for all, for all the Gentiles, that could have sounded really offensive. Like, hey, wait a minute, you're the Messiah and you only came for the Jews? But this was his mission on earth. I came for the Jews. Messiah, the Messiah is from the Jews. Salvation is from the Jews, okay? But what does she say? Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. You see, she understood his mission. She understood his priority. But she also understood that ultimately he would be rejected and that the Messiah came for everyone. And like Kyle said, this was the first time that anybody, including his disciples, his disciples were Jews, and they spent a lot of time with him. This woman was a Phoenician woman, a Gentile, and she was the first one to actually understand one of Jesus' parables. This is a big deal, okay? And after Kyle spoke last week, Heather said this phrase to me a number of times because it just really stuck out, this, that Jesus became a dog so that we could become children. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing, That Jesus became a dog so that we could become children. You remember in Acts 10, when Peter uh, gets a word from Jesus to go to Cornelius, to go with Cornelius, who is a Gentile centurion. And in Peter's mind, Cornelius is associated with unclean food because of a vision he has, and all these uh, birds and wild animals are lowered down, and And he's told to go kill and eat. And he says, no, I have never put anything unclean in my mouth. Right? And he's in his mind, okay, the Jews always equated Gentiles with uncleanliness. Okay? And what does Jesus say to him? Do not call anything unclean that I have made clean. You see, it was always God's plan to bless the world through the Jewish nation like he promised the patriarchs. But it was also always God's plan to be salvation for all who would come to him. Alan spoke on the feeding of the 5,000 a couple weeks ago. But in the account of the feeding of the 5,000 in John 16, it says this, and I just love it. Jesus knew after he fed them and did the miracle and everything and, and provided for them, it says this. 
Jesus knew that they intended to make him king by force. So he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. See, God had a plan. And I am so glad that it was part of his plan not to become an earthly king. Because if he had become an earthly king at that time, then he may have never ever been rejected and sent to the cross and murdered for our sins. I am glad that he was rejected. We read these stories in the Bible and it's like, oh man, if only they knew who he really was. If only they believed him. Well, if only they believed him, then salvation would not be possible for us. Do you understand the weight of him going to the cross for you? I mean, that is intense. And I'm so glad that he did not cave under the temptation to become an earthly king. I mean, he would rather go with the will of his Father in heaven, which was to go and suffer and die for us, than to be placed as an earthly king and have glory and honor and possessions and power here on earth. That's an amazing thing. And so, for, Ju- for Jesus to do this in Gentile territory was a huge deal. Let's go on to verse 2. I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have had nothing to eat. In those days, and this would never fly now, right? Because, I mean, come 1145, you're all going to be antsy and be like, oh, they're going too long and want to get out of here, right? But in that day, people were often with Jesus for three days or more. I mean, these, these preaching ministries lasted a long time. It was a big deal. And so Jesus is compassionate. And he is their substance in, his, in their weakness. I mean, isn't that how he deals with us too? That in our weakness, he's not, he's not crass with us. He doesn't shove us away and say, go provide for yourself. No, he sees our weakness. He sees our failure to provide for ourselves physically and spiritually. And he is our sustenance. Going on, verse 6. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples and set them before the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well, and he gave thanks for them and told the disciples to distribute them. I love this because so often I feel like I'm inadequate to do what God wants me to do. And this is why I love these verses here because Jesus had just multiplied a few loaves and a few fish to feed almost eight to ten thousand people. You think in his power he could have just said, Bam! There it is in front of you, right? I mean, but what did he choose to do? He said, Listen, I'm gonna thank my Father in heaven for this food. It's gonna multiply, it's gonna be awesome. But then he doesn't just distribute it himself, he says, Hey, my disciples the people that I'm teaching, the people that I want at my feet, the people that I spend all my time with, I want you to do this with me. I mean, isn't that cool? That even in our our inability to understand what God wants to teach us in some moments in our lives, he just tells us what to do, and he says, here, I want you to distribute this food that I have multiplied to all these people. God chooses to use us to do his work. Sometimes he does miracles, 
And sometimes he just asks us to obey. But get this, every time he asks you to obey and you do, that's a miracle. Because our natural bent is not to obey. Our natural bent is to doubt. Our natural bent is to be like, whoa, no, God, I can't do that. That's a lot of people. I can't distribute that much food. That's insane. Why don't you just throw it out there? Why don't you just do this miracle? Right? But no. I mean, there'd be no satisfaction in that. God wants to use people to do his work. He doesn't have to, but he chooses to. So those are a few just cool things I wanted to point out to you. But now I want to talk to you about some lost connections between his disciples, between the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and God, and what he wanted to teach them in these moments in life. In verse 4, it says, His disciples answered, okay, after Jesus said, These people have been with me for three days. There's almost eight to 10,000 people here. We need to feed them. And his disciples answer this way, But where in this remote place can, can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Go over to verse 18 and 19. Jesus is talking to them about this experience and he says, Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? I mean, I think that that would be something that I would remember, right? I mean, dang, Jesus, you just fed 5,000, which is, would be probably closer to 15,000 people with a few loaves and a few fish. I mean, if, when, I, when he did it with the 4,000, I think, I would be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Oh, Jesus, why don't you do that multiplying thing again? That was really cool and people loved you for it. They almost wanted to make you king. Can you just do that again? But here's the deal. Here's the lost connection. That we, God wants us to remember what he has done for us in the past to be confident that he can and will provide for us now. But we are so often thrown off by our limited frame of reference that we fail to make the connection between who God is and what he has already done and what he can and wants to do for you in the tough situation that you're in right now. I mean, remember last week, that Kyle talked about this woman again. I love that story. He did a great job talking about this woman. But he said this, that God meets each of us in every individual situation that we are in, and he is powerful enough for that. God wants us to look back into our lives. And this doesn't mean, I mean, I know Scripture says, forget what is behind and press on toward the goal. That's not what I'm talking about here. We need to forget what is behind and not want to go back to those days, but we need to remember God's faithfulness in our lives in past hard situations. Because so often I get tunnel vision and I can't remember and I can't see what God is doing all around me and I fail to make the connection between the fact that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever and what he did for me back then still holds as true for me right now, today, that God is just as powerful in this situation as he was in that situation, as he was for my friend, as he was for my family member. But we miss the connection. We lose that connection. Let's go on. Verse 11. After all this happened, and Jesus feeds the eight to 10,000 people, 
the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus, to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. Now, in Matthew chapter 16, I want to read this to you too, because it's a little more extensive part uh, of this same story from Matthew's standpoint. It says this, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him. Now get this, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were two very religious people. They were all about traditions, they were all about the law, um, but they were, also, they were the religious leaders of the day. So now we've got pretty much all of the religious leaders of the day coming in one group against Jesus. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees thought very differently than each other on some theological points. One, namely, the resurrection of the dead. I mean, they did not see eye to eye, and oftentimes the Pharisees were on one side of a theological issue, and the Sadducees were on another side of a theological issue. But what happened in this? They came together against a common enemy. I mean, they saw Jesus and the things that he was teaching as political suicide for them, spiritual suicide for them, because if the things that he was teaching were true, then their, their jobs, their ministries, their high and holy positions in the religious uh, community would have been gone. And so they ganged together to come against Jesus. And it goes on to say they tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning today, it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Remember, he's talking to the religious leaders. They, pri- they took pride in the fact that they knew this kind of stuff. But he says, you can interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. See, the Pharisees were always looking for a way to catch Jesus in blasphemy. They were always throwing things out there to see if the way that he answered these things would cause them to be able to say, that's blasphemy, we need to kill this guy, okay? But Jesus is so clever in the way that he responds to them because he sees that there is a deeper heart issue in these moments, And Jesus says, listen, I know that all you want is to catch me and to test me. I know your heart and your testing me is not right. And so I'm not going to give you what you're asking me for. I'm not going to feed into the temptation to feed into your traps, to feed into your lies. I'm not going to do that. The only sign that I'm going to give you, and you're going to have to wait for it, The only sign that I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. And here's what that is. Like Jonah, simple. Like Jonah was in the belly of a big fish for three days. That's a true story. Okay, that actually happened. Like Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days, and then he was spit out after the third day on dry ground. Jesus would be in the grave for three days, and then he would raise again from the dead, having defeated death and having bought us back alive again for salvation. See, sometimes we miss the point 
of what Jesus is trying to teach us. Here's the main point that he was trying to teach them. Listen, it's not about all of the, th- the things that you want to think that you can get right. It's not about trying to test God. It's not about making sure that God is in line with your box that you have set him up to be in. It is about salvation. And sometimes we miss the point that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That salvation is central. Here's a question for you. And this, you may have been saved for a really long time or you may have been saved for a day. Okay? But this question needs to be equally heavy for you. And it sounds so simple and elementary because we're in church. But here's the question. Is salvation and what Jesus did for you, is that central in your life? And I'm not talking about, like, my favorite story in the Bible is the story of Gideon. I mean, that's what the, where this tattoo came from. This tattoo, I know a lot of you are wondering, and some of you like it, some of you don't, but it says uh, wine press in Greek, okay? Because when God met Gideon, he was hiding in a wine press. And God met him in his place of fear and in his place of hiding and called him out of that place to do what God wanted him to do. And so for me, I feel that way a lot of times is that I, I, I know and I'm reading scripture and I am hearing what God wants me to do and his Holy Spirit's speaking through his word in my life or speaking through other people in my life. And I know what God wants me to do, but I'm just terrified to do it. And God is calling me out of my place of fear to do what he wants me to do. But get this, even in Gideon's life, he was like, okay, God, I have no idea how this is going to work out, and I'm terrified. But step one, okay? He takes step one. God provides a way for him to do step one, and he's still terrified. Gideon, I want you to do this. Step two, he's still terrified. Step three, still terrified. Every step that Gideon took, he was afraid. He was terrified. So what did he do? He said, God, man, I trust you, but if you could just do this for me, I'm going to go to bed tonight. I'm going to put a fleece out on the ground, and in the morning, could you make the ground wet and the fleece dry? Just do that for me just so I know that you give me confidence to go do what you want me to do. So God does it. God's gracious enough to do that for him. And then the next night he said, just do it one more time, but vice versa, okay? Make the fleece wet and the ground dry. And God is is good enough and gracious enough to do that for him. But so often we get in moments of crisis and we feel like, wait a minute, God, you're not doing this the right way. You're not doing it the right way. And so we want to fit him into our set of rules and into our boxes. And so we complain or we start to look for excuses to discredit God in our lives so that we can go forward in our own life and do things our own way. Isn't that that what we do? Even if you're doing it subconsciously. Sometimes we fail to make the connection between what is going on in our lives and what God wants to teach us. And so often, that is the mindset of people that haven't yet come to Jesus. So often, people that have not yet come to Jesus for salvation, this is their attitude towards God. God, you need to prove yourself to me. You need to show me. You need to do something to prove to me that you really are who you say you are. Because until you do that, forget about it. I mean, you, you allow bad things to happen to good people. You allow great things to happen to bad people. And this just isn't right. 
and we question God until the Holy Spirit comes and points out in that person's life and convicts them of sin and brings that person to salvation. You see, the lost connection here is that we demand more from God than he has already given us. Is salvation enough? And that's the point he was trying to make. Look, you Pharisees, I know you're trying to trap me, but it's not about all of that. The only thing that this is about is my mission here on earth. My mission here on earth is to seek and save the lost. And I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. And I'm going to raise again. And I'm going to defeat death. And all the things that you seek to trap me in are not going to matter. Because I'm about to become the king of a heavenly kingdom that you know nothing about. Is salvation central? Is salvation enough? And then he goes on, and I love this because Jesus just takes opportunities. What is going on in our lives? He takes opportunities to speak into our lives truth, and we so often miss it. Because then the disciples bring only one piece of bread that was in the boat, and Jesus just takes that opportunity. Oh, they're thinking about bread, so I'm going to take this opportunity to teach them something spiritual. And he says, beware of or watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And they were like, oh no, he's mad, he's hungry. I mean, he just fed 8,000 people, but I think he forgot to eat because he's hungry. And he's mad at us because we didn't bring enough bread to feed everybody in the boat. And so now he's doing this stuff. And we're, Guys, Andrew, I'm always confused by this. Why does Jesus talk like this? I mean, he sounds like Yoda. I just don't understand him. Uh, Peter, do you know what he's talking about? Because... I think he's mad at us. And they just don't get the point. Sorry, I just had a little conversation here on stage. But they just don't get the point. Jesus has every right at this moment to be frustrated because a lot of times, and I think about this when I'm with my kids, you know, I'm trying to explain something to them and it's just not getting through. And I'm like, God, you need to give me the ability to speak to a six-year-old because I just... I'm not getting it right now. I'm not getting it right. And so I have to figure out some other ways to communicate what I want to communicate to them so that they understand. And it just gets really frustrating after a while because I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and they just don't get it. But Jesus' response is so gracious. Verse 17. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you still talking about having no bread? Do you not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? And then he reminds them of what he had already done. And he's saying, listen, I want to remind you gently of what I want to teach you. Sometimes our physical situation in life can be like God is telling us a parable. Right? Because for the disciples, every time God told them a parable, they were confused. And he told parables in order to confuse people. Right? Because he wanted people to seek out the truth of what he was saying. And in my life and in your life, your situation that you are in is like a parable. That God wants to teach you something through the very situation that you are in right now. Your story. What can you learn from your situation? What can we learn from our story about God? What can we learn that God wants us so desperately 
to learn. You see, Jesus is so much more than physical bread. He is the bread of eternal life, and salvation is the most important. So often, we lose connection between the situation that we are in right now and what God wants to teach us out of it. And then we wake up one morning, and we haven't spent time with God. We haven't sought God. We've run away from God because our situation in life is frustrating. And so I just want to give you a few practical things that we can do together to fight against these lost connections. Between what we experience in life and what God wants to teach us from them, no matter how difficult it is or no matter how joyful it is. Because sometimes situations are joyful and we feel like we don't need God and so we walk away from him anyway. But God desires, God loves to be with you. He wants you to love to be with him. Remember the the definition, and I'm almost done here. Remember the definition of the word sanity? Sanity is the ability to make decisions based on the truth. But if we're not feeding, you know, just keep feeding. If we're not feeding truth into our own lives or allowing God to teach us what he wants to teach us through our situations, then we are not going to live sane Lives. So here's three things that God has given us. Here's three things that God has given us as the church that the disciples at that time did not have. Okay? Number one, the Holy Spirit. After Jesus was crucified, dead, buried, rose again, and he said to his disciples, I want you to wait for the gift that my Father is going to give you, the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to receive power. Okay? We have the Holy Spirit. And what's the Holy Spirit's job in our life? To convict us of sin, to teach us God's word, to make this real to us, to reveal to us God's plan for our lives. And through so many different avenues, God uses the Holy Spirit to speak to us in our lives. But so often, we're blind or deaf to hear what he's saying to us. The disciples did not have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit, and we've got to, be, to utilize the Holy Spirit. Not that we're using him for our own means, but that God has given the Holy Spirit as a gift to us. He calls him another counselor, someone to help us in life. Number two is scripture. Number two is scripture. See, first he gives us the Holy Spirit, to make scripture real to us. Because so often we read this and until the Holy Spirit reveals to us the truth of scripture, we just aren't going to get it. The disciples didn't have all of scripture either. Okay? Number three is the church. They didn't have the church at that time. They had other people that were following Jesus, but they didn't have the church created by God in order to help us, what does the Bible say? As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We cannot keep our connection with God in isolation, okay? We cannot keep our connection with God in isolation. And really the most important thing that I didn't make a part of the one, two, three, because without this, One, two, three, don't even have effect in our lives. But the overarching thing that connects us to God is prayer, right? I mean, you may have an awesome scripture reading life. You may have an awesome community in this church. You spend time with people. You sharpen each other. It's awesome. You may uh, read the word all the time, okay? 
and you may rely on the Spirit from day to day. But if you're not praying, you're not connecting with God. Because what is this? Prayer? This is how I've heard prayer defined. Okay? Prayer is not to get God to do things to, to, the prayer is not to get God to do things that we ask him for or give us what we want. Prayer is meant to align our hearts with God's will. Tim, you guys can come back up. And I don't, I want to challenge you with this this morning because I feel like these three things, understanding the Holy Spirit in your life, reading, digging into his word, and doing it together as a church, I don't know if there's any formula as to how you do this. I mean, I've been thinking for the last week, how can we create ministries to make these things happen, okay? And I've been wrestling with that. But here's the challenge for you. Church is not just coming here on a Sunday morning, talking to a few people, hopefully being encouraged and then leaving. We want, we desire you, okay, This is your permission slip, okay? Because so often I know that sitting on that side of things, you're just waiting for the guy up here or the leaders of the church to tell you, hey, this is what we want you to do. This is what you should do. But this right now is your permission slip because I know that there's people here this morning that are hurting and just have this lost connection or desire the Holy Spirit to lead them on a daily basis or desire to dig in to the word of God, to dig into scripture because you know that scripture is able to pierce through bone and marrow to your heart and speak right to your situation. But here's your permission slip to go get that with each other. I mean, if you've had it in your mind that you want to spend time with a group of people reading the Bible, don't be terrified to be the one that starts it. Everybody's always terrified to be the one that goes to somebody else and shows their weakness because they need to read scripture with somebody. Don't be terrified of that. Know that these are the things that God has given us as gifts to help us connect with God because so often we lose the connection between our situation in life and what God wants to teach us. And I think that if we're involved in these three things with each other, man, it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be awesome. So I just challenge you guys, and we wanna create ministries for this stuff to happen too, but I challenge you to go find somebody to read scripture with. Go find somebody. Just start it. Don't wait for us to create this ministry for you. Just go do it. Because you need it. And the people that you're asking to do it, they need it as well. Father, thank you so much for bringing us here today. I could just keep singing to you the rest of this day with all of these people here, Lord. And so I just pray that we carry this with us throughout the week, Lord, that we are so excited just to keep praising you because All the blessings you give us don't end when we leave these doors, Lord. And so just help us to be able to see you and what you're doing in our lives, Lord, and want to live it for you. In your name, amen. Hopefully we'll see you guys next week. Thank you.